Hello, everybody. I am Lindsay Zarniak. And I'm MJ Acosta Ruiz. And welcome to On Her Turf at the Olympics. We are so excited because this is going to be a show like you have never heard at the Olympics. We're turning the spotlight solely on the incredible women competing on the world's biggest stage. The ones who inspire us with their athleticism, their grit, their perseverance. There is so much to talk mm -hmm. about, MJ. This is where we get to do all of that. And trust us, we will. Every day of the Tokyo Olympics, we will be dedicating each minute of this show to bringing you those stories from incredible accomplishments on the field to the historic barriers that have prevented women's sports from receiving the investment and attention they deserve. We will be covering all of it. This podcast is presented by Nordatrack from iFit. We're going to turn our attention to the sport of shooting. So here's some background for you. At the Tokyo Olympics, shooting has events now that are open to women, events that are open to men, mixed gender events, which of course is where men and women compete as a team. But between 68 and 92, there was at least one shooting event open to anybody, women and men competing against each other. Yeah, so of course, you want to know what happened in 92? Well, China's <laughs> Zheng Shaw won gold in the open skeet event, becoming the first woman to win an Olympic gold medal in an open gender shooting event. Four years later, all shooting events became divided by gender. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. they followed what was working. <laughs> it's very different. All right, so of course there are many sort of subdivisions, right, within like the shooting category, shotgun, all of these different things. But we have a very special guest. Her name is Mary Tucker, and she competed in the women's 10-meter air rifle event earlier today, finishing six. Welcome in, Mary Tucker. So excited to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Mary, you are one of the first athletes to compete at these Olympics. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was really cool being one of the first athletes. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily know that we are the first sport, but I think as a sport as a whole, we take a lot of pride in that. What does it mean to you? Why is that so important? Um, we definitely get to, no pun intended, start the Olympics off with a bang and uh, <laughs> whatever country takes at home. You know, they get that first medal for their country and start everything off on the right foot. Awesome. I mean, I love that. Yes to the pun. I'm here for it for the wordplay, Mary. Now, in the last few years, Shooting's International Federation has made some changes to equalize men's and women's events. Mm -hmm. What does that part mean to you? Yeah, so I never shot um, when our disciplines were actually different. Um, prior, so in the last Olympics, 2016, the women only shot 40 shots um, and a three by 20 where the men shot 60 and a three by 40. So the men shot a lot more shots, um, meaning their score was always a lot higher than the women's. Um, so this is the first one again, where we do compete in the same events and it'll be really interesting tomorrow to see what the men's scores will be compared to the women's scores. I'm going to be a little transparent here with you, Mary, because I didn't realize that all of this during the course of a normal year, not the Olympics, goes on, that, that they have this at the University of Kentucky. Um, and then I saw that you, you learned to teach yourself a bit of this from right. YouTube. So I want to know how you did it because, and what it takes really to become an Olympic caliber athlete in shooting. 
Yeah, um, not a lot of people know, but there are about 30 universities that do have shooting um, and just rifle. So shotgun and pistol are also NCAA sports. Um, I'm not really sure how many schools have those, but NCAA programs are incredible. Um, I pretty much taught myself, you know, like you said, on YouTube and just Googling it. And it was really hard, but I put in a lot of work, a lot of time, and I really just stayed with it. You know, Mary, one of the challenges I would assume is sort of being separated from folks, not only for the Olympics, but in your training leading up to all of this. Um, we saw an image of you and a couple of your friends there. Can you tell us a little bit um, about sort of this, this uh, group, this relationship, and how it's been um, throughout this process? Yeah, so the two girls in the picture there um, are Emmy and Jaden. They're my two roommates at the University of Kentucky. And the three of us came in along with one boy, um, Mason, on, you know, we're all the same year in school. So having them has been really, really nice because we're all kind of going through the same stages of our lives. Um, and they're, you know, a little bit different going into different programs, having different studies. So it's, it's really nice having them to talk to about shooting and non-shooting. <laughs> That's so cool. Right. Um, Mary, um, just real quick, what's next for you? What can people look for if they're trying to follow you now? So I have two more events left. Um, I have the mixed team with my partner, Lucas, on the 27th, Tokyo time. And then I have small bore, I believe, on the 31st, which is another individual event. Awesome. So excited for you, Mary. Yeah, you rock. Mary, thank you so much. Uh, congratulations and good luck the rest of the way. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us. We know it's not early. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Mary. So coming up, we're going to turn our attention to the world of gymnastics, and we're going to be joined by somebody who knows a lot about that sport. We'll be right back. An iconic moment yesterday, Naomi Osaka lighting the Olympic cauldron. Osaka, the highest paid female athlete in history. So cool. She wrote on Twitter that it was, quote, the greatest athletic achievement and honor I will ever have in my life. Unbelievable. All right, welcome back to On Her Turf at the Olympics. Qualification in women's gymnastics gets underway in just a few hours. And while qualification might not sound like it's high stakes. Oh, trust Ooh. us, it is. <laughs> yes. Only two athletes per country can qualify in each individual event final. So for the super deep U.S. gymnastics team, just earning a spot in some event finals might be tougher, Lindsay, than actually winning an Olympic medal. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine what no, they're going through right now? Just the preparation. all nope. and, and, you know, we talk about this so many times, but all the time it takes and the commitment they have made, and right. it all in some ways comes down to this. Hmm. Joining us now to discuss all things women's gymnastics is Olympic gold medalist and NBC analyst, Nastia Lucan. Nastia, real quick, where can we get that outfit? Please, because girl. you look amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you. This is Zimmerman. Um, and you know what? <laughs> Who are you wearing? Um, 
<laughs> yeah, um, it's been so much fun. I mean, just being able to be here, you know, we've, we've been waiting for this moment for five years now. You know, we mm-hmm. say four years, but obviously with the, the Olympics being delayed um, a year. So I'm just excited to be here, honestly, and, and just have the Olympics finally here. And, and really for the athletes too, to be able to come out here on this competition floor and, and do their thing and, and shine, you know, on the biggest stage. I love hearing your perspective. Also, though, you were at podium training, which is the first time these gymnasts had a chance to practice on the apparatus they'll be using during competition. What was your expert takeaway from what you saw? Um, my expert takeaway, I would say, is, you know, no surprises. Um, you know, they were obviously the favorite to win and they went out there and they did exactly what, um, you know, training really is. It's it's normally you want to try to get out those mistakes in training before the competition, but uh, they didn't really even have any mistakes. Uh, they were so prepared, you know, physically prepared more than they ever will be in their entire lives. And you know, this has also definitely been a mental challenge. Uh, as soon as the Olympics got postponed, you know, every single athlete at some point kind of questioned, you know, it, it, do I want to continue um, for the next year? And, uh, you know, with all of them obviously doing so, um, yeah, it was it was really amazing being able to just watch them um, just kind of from the side even and, and putting myself back in their shoes and, and knowing, you know, what it's like to fulfill a, a childhood dream essentially. Yeah, Nasi, I mean, there's so many layers to this, right? Like you just mentioned, there's a lot of uh, mental prep that goes into this, but the mm-hmm. physical stuff, obviously getting a lot of eyeballs. Of course, Simone Biles, Yurchenko, Double Pike, getting a lot of attention, rightfully so. But for those of us who can't even do a handstand, <laughs> uh, oh, come can on. you just explain why this is so groundbreaking, so difficult? Gosh, it is just so like even difficult to explain why it's so difficult because nobody in the entire world has ever done this fault. So that alone, you know, she she does things that um, that are so difficult, but it's also the way that she performs them. So not only is the difficulty, you know, value and level so high, but she performs it with such ease. I mean, look at that just literally one step back on the landing like it's 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 as if like it was just a walk in the park and let me tell you it's not (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't seem like it I want to hear about that too what the the toughest parts of all of this from a gymnast perspective but also specifically SUNY Lee um I loved watching you compete on bars and SUNY obviously one of the (laughs) favorite for gold on uneven bars what do you expect to see from her well, watching her in training, um, if she can hit the routine that she is capable of doing, she will become the Olympic gold medalist on the uneven bars. And, you know, she has so many different variations because it's all about the connection. So watching this routine, um, I believe it was probably the national championships. Um, she missed a few connections. Uh, but when we watched her in training uh, just a few days ago, she nailed the routine. Every single connection, it was just absolutely flawless and uh yeah so really one more routine um in the qualifying round to qualify her on to the event finals and then of course the event finals uh next week will uh if she can just do that one routine olympic champion n- not a, not a question in my mind so if you can just nail that, then yeah, you're good. Then, then you're right. fine. Then there's no problems. Uh, Narcia, thank you so much for joining us. And of course, for that expert perspective, enjoy your time in that front seat in Tokyo, girl. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back.
I think representation is just so important because you don't want people to think that they don't belong in the sport or that they can't or that there's something that's holding them back from being a part of the sport. Sometimes I'll get messages on social media and stuff just saying like, thank you for representing the Asian American community. Like my daughter is half Japanese or half Asian and she looks up to you because of that. Regardless if I'm repping the United States of America to have Polynesian girls look up to me and it's a dream come true. When people will watch on TV and they'll see other people that look like them doing that and succeeding and going to college softball and pro softball and Olympic softball, I think that's a really cool just message to get across that like anybody can play the sport. Ariana will score. The United States takes the lead. The RBI single from Michelle Moultrie. Even just being seen can inspire others to go out and play is, I think, just an honor. And so that's something that I take with me every day to feel. When you see someone that looks like you, you know, it just gives you hope that, like, that could be you one day. And so it's just really cool for me to be that person on this team. It means everything. Kaylani Ricketts, who is an alternate on the team, I mean, she was my role model coming up. And so to be one for younger girls in the next generations is something that I take pride in. I know I have a lot of them coming into my DMs on Instagram and saying, you're my role model and all of this. So for me to be a representation for them and to see, hey, she looks like me, I can do that, is um, something that's empowering. And I hope to inspire little girls. We're so excited to now be joined by two more United States softball pioneers, Lisa Fernandez, who competed in softball's first ever Olympic appearance, that was in 1996, went on to win three gold medals for Team USA, and two-time Olympic medalist, Jessica Mendoza. Guys, it's so good to see both of you here. So you were teammates at the 2004 Athens Olympics, but I want to start with you, Jessica, because when was the first time you ever heard the name Lisa Fernandez? In the early 90s, um, you know, I remember, gosh, like it was right around when women's soccer, I remember, you know, the 91ers and softball was captivating, at least us that were playing softball in the same way. And to be honest, to hear Fernandez, I mean, Lisa is our goat. She's our best player, regardless of background, all the things. But being Mendoza and seeing Fernandez and knowing her story, seeing her flat out dominate, I was obsessed. I mean, I still really? am. Like, I've been able to be her teammate, but no one is Lisa Fernandez. I mean, what she's been able to do, accomplish within the sport. But also you look at so many Hispanic young girls. I was one of them but it continues on. We just heard that piece, how important it is to see color, to see diversity, to understand that the sport has, you know, more than just, you know, what you see. And, and Lisa Fernandez was that for the sport in so many different ways, but she definitely affected this young girl and got me on a whole nother level of playing. I love that. I mean, if I may, just <laughs> so it's clear in this interview, it's not just the young generation, your peers as a Latina, I'm sitting here so proud to have the two of you just continue to represent um, and, and prolong that legacy that you had. And Lisa, what has it been like watching Jessica take her experience on the softball field and now turn it into a career in the broadcast booth? Just so proud of Jess. I mean, just to be able to see what she's done. Uh, I actually recruited Jess out of high school. Uh, we won't talk about our basketball game, Jess. I think I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, really just to be able to see Jessica and how she's grown up and, and how she's developed and more importantly, just to see how she's kind of taken the baton and, and taken us to the next level um, to be able to have athletes identify with her and what she's been able to do as an Olympian and on the field, but now to be able to take it in the booth and to see everything that she's been able to do. Uh, she's just an incredible role model. I'm just so proud of her. 
Ah, yeah, Jessica, watching you and seeing what you do in the booth, it's, it, it is so inspiring. It is so awesome. Um, and I want to take a moment to get your expert opinion here, yeah. your takeaways, right, from the tournament we've seen so far. Uh, just, you know, the parody in the game, and Lisa can speak to this. I mean, she knows in 1996 just how much the sport has grown. Um, this is the fifth Olympic Games. Obviously, we had a timeout the last two Olympics, 13 years since we've seen it here in the games. But what we haven't seen that dominant performance. I mean, we've seen it on the pitcher's mound for Team USA, but we're not seeing these scores that we used to see where it was 9 nothing, 10 nothing. you know, just one side so much better. I get really pumped up. Only six teams. In the past Olympic Games, there were eight. So only six teams here, and every single one of them can show up and compete. And that's pretty cool for the sport. You know, we're, we're so excited, right, to see softball back. Softball is in a tough place, though. It's, it's almost this dichotomy between it because it's back uh, for the Olympics for the first time in 13 years but then it won't be contested at the 2024 Paris Olympics. So, uh, Lisa, I'll start with you here. How does that impact the professional career of these players? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, when you get to the top and, you know, obviously as an Olympic athlete, you, you know, you, you compete against the very best and you have four years to train and the sacrifice and the dedication that it takes. To me, this is truly the greatest challenge of any athlete is to be at your best uh, for this one moment in time. And, you know, for us, this is the top and to have been able to be there and then, you know, get knocked down. It, it's been a struggle to be able to continue to get the game. And, you know, the college game has has gone to a whole nother level. Um, the stadiums have been so, you know, sold out that the ratings have been huge. And it's really, you know, time for us to take this in a direction where we can have a professional uh, system within the U.S. There is one in Japan, but to be able to bring it in, you know, home into the U.S. and to develop our athletes post-college, uh, we got to be ready. If we aren't in 2024 in Paris, we got to be ready. And, and more importantly, in 2028, hopefully we'll be there in LA. What else, for people that are so in love following this sport during the Olympics, what can they do? Because example, Monica Abbott, she plays in Japan typically. So what, what can they do to continue to watch this sport that they love? And also what else can be done? Well, I think that's where we're trying to collaborate and, and figure out how we can get this to have an opportunity for these women to compete post-college so that Monica Abbott can play in the U.S., so that the sport can thrive, um, being able to have communication with MLB and baseball and, and see how we can uh, come together and take this to another level because it is a bat and ball game. And it's exciting to be able to see the respect that we get uh, from baseball players who, who obviously have seen us play and know what it takes for what we do. Uh, and the appreciation that they have for the athletic ability that we are able to uh, show on the field. And obviously, I mean, this sport will take everyone's breath away. We'll hear at the Olympic Games. We've seen it, as Lisa mentioned, at the college level. But what we need to do is watch it at the professional level and support it more. Get the word out. Talk about it. Start getting it on social media. We have Athletes Unlimited, Athletes Unlimited and the NPF, two pro leagues that are happening. And we just need to get the word out because I have no doubt that if people knew that softball was out there, they could watch it, they could support it, they absolutely will. But as you guys know, with women's professional sports, a lot of times we just don't have the marketing. We don't have the eyeballs of getting it in front of so many people that do want to support it. So after the Olympics, go watch these pro leagues, support <laughs> them, tell your friends, tell your grandma, tell everyone you know, because I want this to keep rolling.
I think the the opportunity to be able to watch it, the access to these games, to these athletes who are impacting folks, not just here in the U.S., but worldwide is such uh, an important piece of it, Jessica, like you mentioned. Um, Lisa, have you been able to see sort of the impact of that um, as, as, as you train other, other young women um, within the softball space? Oh, it's been huge. I mean, just to be able to see the growth of the sport. Um, you know, when we went on tour in 96, you know, from the caliber of teams and we played then to seeing the caliber of teams that uh, the U.S. had to face uh, this go round. The college game has helped train uh, many of these athletes uh, that have come right out of college to where it's been exciting to be able to see. And I, I just love the growth. I, I love to be able to talk at clinics and, and work with athletes and be able to let them know that they have an opportunity to represent their country and there's no greater honor. Wow. Can I just jump in and say, too, that Lisa Fernandez, as far as like continuing to give to the game, we've already talked about how ridiculous she was as an athlete, yeah. but she's a coach at UCLA. There's more athletes on this Olympic team from UCLA than any other school. I'm not giving her 100% of the credit, but think about it. She, <laughs> she, she, in her retirement from the game, is helping grow the game by the, the performance that we see continuation of these young athletes coming through schools like UCLA that Lisa Fernandez is able to get her hands on specifically Rachel Garcia who's one of the best players from the college game on this Olympic team guaranteed she is here because Lisa Fernandez had the opportunity to work and help her grow that's awesome yes uh question Randall well another question but I did want to ask you shorts so up until now the women had to wear shorts and this is the first year they're allowed to wear pants what's up with that so ridiculous, by the way. Yeah. You know what they told us? And Lisa knows this more than me because she had to wear shorts a heck lot more years. I have scars. Like, I would lift up my leg right now and show you the amount of scars I have from wearing shorts. Right. They told us the reason we had to wear shorts versus pants is they needed to be able to differentiate the men from the women. What? Like, God forbid you it. could oh not tell the difference. But they needed the women's version of the sport to have shorts, whereas the men's version could have pants. How ridiculous is that? Finally, we oh were able gosh. to actually go, um, yeah, we're going to call you out on that. A little sexist, a little just ridiculous. And actually get these women in pants like they deserve. Oh, my gosh. That is absolutely unreal. Come on, are you kidding? I have many, many thoughts, but we only have but so much time on the show for this. Can um, we ask you one thing? Before we let you go, what is the most difficult part um, of the competition for these, these women on Team USA or any team for that matter? What do you think? You guys have lived the experience. What, what becomes the moment that is the hardest to overcome or to, pre to prepare for? I think making it bigger than it, you know, any moment bigger than another. I mean, for these guys, they've worked so hard and specifically for these team, this team and these athletes, if you really think about it, uh, you know, they were supposed to compete in, in 2020 and, and it gets postponed and the uncertainty. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot of an emotional toll. The physicality of the preparation, not to prepare, to prepare the limitations of preparation, uh, you know, and there's confidence that comes into play. You know, are you ready? Are you prepared? knowing that this is your moment. Every game matters. Um, sometimes you can put so much pressure on yourself, it actually drowns you. And so it's, it's important that, that it's about the process. It's about trying to execute uh, one pitch at a time, living in the present, not in the past, and not worrying about the future. But there's a lot. There's a lot on them because of everything that they've had to endure. And it, I just give them so much credit for being able to handle all the adversity that they've had to face and then to be in this moment in time when you have six teams and a round robin in the top two are the ones that go to the gold medal game. Every game counts. It's, um, it's a dogfight. It, it's going to be, uh, 
it's exciting to be able to see how every game counts and, and to see those athletes that um, can get it done. And just as you know, you know, sometimes when you're up at the plate, the ball looks like a beach ball. And then other times <laughs> it's like a pea and, and there's nothing you can do in the moment, but just try to have that mental battle and figure out how you can contribute. And, and it's tough. And that's, I, that's the tough part about our game. I do think though, Lisa, the mental battle, which is everything. I think it's so much more helpful. I mean, without it being in the games for 13 years, we always had those veterans. Like when I was in 04, when I was in 08, you know, we had the Lisa Fernandez, the Lori Harrigans, the Leo Brian Amicos to tell us how we do this. And what I see right now with Team USA, one of the biggest struggles is, yes, they've got Kat and Monica Abbott, but those are pitchers. There's no one up there hitting and battling that's coming into the dugout that knows, hey, we're number one. We need to go out there and show everyone that has that swag. I was nervous as all heck my first Olympic Games, but I had Lisa to come put me in a headlock and be like, girl, go show them what you got. Like, I don't know if they have that person in the lineup that's ready to like slap everyone awake and say, go show everyone why we're number one and how good we can be. I mean, to that to that end, Jess, like everyone needs to get it together, girl moment, right? Teammate or person yes. in your life. Um, but when you look at this women's team, to, to your point, now they're they're thinking back, pulling out receipts, 2008, that game against Japan. So now they're going up against them. This is like an avenging moment here for this team, Jess. Oh, um, that's why I'm here. <laughs> we lost in 08. Oh, no, you're playing the replay. Oh, you're killing me. Um, yes, this is 2008, losing to Japan. By the way, Yukiko Ueno, who you see there on the rubber in that game, the gold medal winner. I mean, this was huge for the country of Japan. The first gold medal they ever won in a team sport. And guess what? Yes, the Olympics are where? Back here in Japan for the first time for the sport. There is a reason I am here. I'm definitely covering the game, but definitely this rematch coming on Monday. Are you kidding me? Like, let's go. I'm ready, Jess. Exactly. <laughs> Boom, done. Like, no better teaser. That's no so cool. Thank you oh both so much for being with us, for show, sharing your experiences, for the representation. Que orgullo to be here with all uh, with both of you. It, it has been absolutely incredible. I can't wait for this uh, game on Monday, Jess. I was already yes. hyped, and now we're at yes. another level. Yes. Again, yes. Aren't we? yes, we are. Thank you guys so much. Seriously, thank you for being a part of this conversation. Thank you both. You got it. Thanks for having me. All right. Absolutely. Lindsay, we did it. That is it for today. The first ever on her turf. I'm going to go run through a brick wall. Excuse I mean, me while I've said, no, seriously, that's awesome. They are so, so cool to talk they to. They are incredible. Thank you all for joining us, of course. But on her turf at the Olympics, we'll be streaming for free on Peacock every day of the games. Tune in Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Saturday, 7 Eastern. Make sure you got that down. Yes, and for even more stories about women's sports, you can follow elsewhere. Be sure to follow On Her Turf on Instagram and Twitter. There is so much to read. This has been so much fun. For MJ, I'm Lindsay. We'll see you guys back here tomorrow. Join us daily at On Her Turf as we cover all the excitement of the Tokyo Olympics. Be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else. This podcast is presented by NordaTrack from iFit.